0: Welcome to The Spartan Life, where we explore what it means to be part of the Southern Lehigh family. An attempt to cover all of the sweet, sweet goodness that is Southern Lehigh High School in 30 minutes or less. From first hand coverage of exciting experiences, to intimate discussions with some of your favorite teachers, to inspirational interviews with diverse students on unique journeys. That's right, great students accomplishing great feats. We'll do our best to hit all of the highlights. But inevitably, we will fail. Because there's so much to celebrate, we're afraid your brains would simply melt if we tried to cover it all. We are your hosts. I'm Mr. Howe. And I'm Mr. Costagna. Join us as we venture into the heart of Southern Lee High High School, one interaction at a time, on The, the Spartan, Spartan Life. Life.
1: I am very excited for today's episode of The Spartan Life. We are sitting down with former NFL player Cliff Crosby who recently gave a riveting presentation on one of our asynchronous Fridays. I'm delighted to have him here as a guest. How are you, Cliff?
2: I am doing great, man. It, it is sunny outside today. I guess they say the sun comes before the storm. We are expecting a big storm tomorrow. So here we are.
1: Yeah, supposed to be another big one. Where are you right now, Cliff?
2: I am in Northern Virginia right now. Um, had to go and work today because of the pending storm um so they wanted us to come in a day early to get some work done in case we are not in work tomorrow
0: and you you live in the baltimore area right
2: well not necessarily the baltimore area so i live in a dmv the dmv stands for dc maryland virginia but that doesn't include baltimore
0: oh okay okay baltimore is
2: on the outskirts of the dmv which is weird, right? So when someone says Maryland, the first thing you think of is Baltimore.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm a Maryland boy. I grew up in Western Maryland, uh, in the Hagerstown area. So um, oh, I, okay, I, yeah. So I'm a big like down in the area there. You know, grew up a, yep. a Baltimore Ravens fan throughout. You know, and, and still root pretty hard for them. So
2: right, right, right. So you are actually considered outside of the DMV, way out there in Hagerstown,
0: way outside. That's right. <laughs> In the boonies, yeah. some say there that.
1: Yeah. Well, at the end of your presentation, Cliff, uh, I had so many questions I wanted to ask you. I found it to be so engaging and rich and so honest. Uh, and I thought it'd be really helpful for our students if we had a little one-on-one time. And uh, here are the things that I wanted to know about. You have okay. this four-part philosophy and a big part of it is, you know, one of the pillars of it is to get involved. And as a young man, you faced tremendous adversity, right? A story that I think many of our students could not relate to in a literal way, that we've all faced adversity. I think we all kind of, you know, our jaws hit the floor. But uh-huh. you didn't respond to that adversity like many people do, where a lot of people are faced with adversity and they, and they fold, you know? It uh-huh. cripples them, they can't overcome it. You almost, uh-huh. it seems like, immediately took it as a challenge and turned a negative into a positive. And you explain, you know, hey, you follow these four steps, you can do it too uh-huh. but so many people so many people don't. So what do you think it is about you that enabled you to turn a negative into a positive where many people can't?
2: I think I think looking back on it, you know it, it, it sounds like I turned a negative into a positive, but I cannot I can tell you going through it, I, I never saw the positive, right I just kept moving, I put my head down. Um, I did what I was supposed to do. Um, I, I stayed out of trouble. I was that kid that was like, man, I don't want to get in trouble. I was afraid of trouble. So I had this fear of my mom. And even though she was addicted to drugs, even though she was not the, the present parent that I needed her to be, I still had that fear and that respect for her. And I think that kept me in line. You know, That kept me doing the right things and, and avoiding trouble. Um, the other thing I did was whenever someone told me I, I couldn't do something or the odds were stacked against me, it was like a challenge to me. And I did take it as a challenge. And I said, okay, I'm going to prove to that person or persons that I can do it and I can succeed.
1: Do you think that's just part of your natural personality? Uh, was it part of where you grew up? Uh, that, that idea of like meeting a challenge head on uh, or that, that fear of getting in trouble?
2: I do. I, do. I, I don't think you, you acquire that. I don't think you learn that. I think some of us are just wired in a certain way. And I think, unfortunately, that was just how I was wired. Um, I was the oldest in my, in my family, and my household. And my mom always pushed me. She, she never accepted anything that I did. She always made it hard for me. And, and I think, you know, to her credit, I think it helped me and it shaped me into who I was. And it tapped into that, that wiring that I already had. Uh, I remember growing up and having to walk to the grocery store. And if I would get the wrong thing, she would send me back to the grocery store. And I'm like, mom, but this is, this is spaghetti sauce. Why does it have to be the one you want? And so she would make me walk all the way back and get the right one. And so she, she always pushed me. Um, I don't think, you know, I, I don't, When I think back, I don't think it was called pushing me. I think it was just who she was at the time. And she always made it harder on me as being the oldest child. And I think I I took that under my belt and just always wanted to do the right thing. And I was always trying to please her and get her approval. And I think some of that is what, what helped me succeed as well.
1: You talked a lot in your presentation about her struggles. Uh, but it certainly sounded like prior to all of that, she had created a foundation for you. Uh, and, and you say, you know, like, unfortunately, it's the way I'm wired. I think it actually it turned out to be very fortunate for you because you were able to face up to this adversity and really make something of your life, despite everything stacked against you.
2: Absolutely, because I, I, I think if I grew up in the same situation and settings that my, my son, my 19-year-old son, grow up, grew up in now, I don't know if I have that same drive. I don't know if I have that same, that wiring that I'm talking about. I don't know if it comes, rises to the top. Um, sometimes I look at my son and I, and I say, man, he, he doesn't have the same struggle. But then I also see him playing sports. He doesn't have that same fire that I had when I played sports. So unfortunate, but fortunate at the same time. And, and I think, you know, it, it happened for a reason. I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't, I don't have any regrets shape me into the person that I am today.
0: And your mom is such a big part of your story. And her battle with addiction is, is a challenge that she had throughout your, your life. Um, our students wanted to know um, where your mom is now and how she's doing and, and if, if uh, she's still you know, facing those same problems.
2: Uh, um, well, right now, today, my mom, she actually turns 65 tomorrow. <laughs> her birthday is tomorrow. Um, She is definitely not facing those challenges today. She is a devout Christian. Um, She's been sober and clean um, since, man, since my junior year, rising senior year in high school is when she kind of turned that corner. And for her, it was incarceration. She went to jail for about 18 months. I usually share that part in my longer presentation when I'm in person. um, But she did go to jail for about 18 months. And when she got out of jail, me and her had a conversation. And part of that conversation was trust. She wanted me to come back and live with her. And I, and I I feared living with her again because I thought, you know, she would go back to doing drugs. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to deal with that again. And, And so she asked me, what could I do to make you trust me again? And she smoked cigarettes at the time. And I asked her if she could stop smoking cigarettes. That would help me trust that she wasn't doing drugs. Don't know how I connected the two, but I did, and when I told her that, she proved to me that she stopped smoking cigarettes, and that was the first sign of trust for me, is that if she could stop smoking cigarettes, I could believe that she stopped doing drugs, and, and, and ever since then, she's never looked back, and she's been clean. Um, She was never really a drinker, so I never seen my mom drink. Um, She just did, she smoked cigarettes, and she did drugs, but um, till then, she's been clean and she hasn't looked back.
0: Wow, that, that's pretty that's pretty massive. So congratulations to her on, on that and turning 65 tomorrow. So happy birthday to your mom tomorrow.
1: Yes. Yes. Thank you. I, I have a question about that. In your presentation, you talk about your uh, friend from high school, got himself into trouble, ended up oh. in jail for whatever it was, 20, 25 years. And uh, in the presentation, you say he's getting out of jail tomorrow. And now you're telling us tomorrow is your mother's 65th. Are you making these things up or are all these things really happening tomorrow?
2: Right. My mom's birthday is February 18th. So she is turning 65. Trust me. My pocketbook will not make that up because she is expecting a gift. Um, My friend who got out of jail the day before that pre he got out february sixth i believe it was yes. and i still haven't spoke to him and it's funny because i'm not on social media right now i'm taking a break from social media i have been since november um just you know with the black lives matter the elections the protests it was just a lot going on and for me i took a break so with my friend getting out of jail i actually just got a message the other day from someone who knows that he's my friend And they said, man, I know you're happy your friend is getting out of jail and this and that. And I said, man, you know what? I said, I don't know him anymore. I said, he went to jail when I was 16. Mm -hmm. I'm 46 now. Like, I don't know him. He doesn't know me. And so for me, it's like I'm allowing him to take his time. We'll reconnect at some point. But for me, I need to see where his headspace is. Mm
0: -hmm. I need to see
2: how he readjusts to coming back into the community and reentry. And because I'm in a great space, and I really don't want anybody to come in that space to disrupt my growth. And so for me, I still see him as a friend. I still see him as that 17-year-old when he went to jail, but I don't know this new person. So I need to figure out who that new person is.
0: And he comes up as well as part of your story as being um, very impactful and just you, you ran with him the one day. And then the next time you said, no, I, you know, I, I don't want to have anything to do with that uh, particular situation anymore. And, and you have that as part of your story. Um, one of the things that our students wanted to know as well is what advice would you give them in in trying to separate themselves from negative people and negative circumstances in their life?
2: You know, Ryan, that's a, that's, a, that's a tough question because, you know, it's hard. As young people, as adults, it's easy for us to do that, right? Because we understand energy, we understand negative and positive, and we have great discernment as adults because we have lived through some things. But as young people, that's very difficult for them to separate. Um, but for me, the only advice I would say is, is just, you know, when you get a gut feeling, and you think something could go wrong, you think it's the wrong thing, you think it's bad, you probably need to trust yourself and trust your instinct because nine times out of 10, you're not wrong. Your feeling that you're feeling is there for a reason. And you have to be able to understand and identify when you feel that way. And I think that's the biggest thing. When I was in that car with him, as I said in that story, I knew I shouldn't have been in that car. I knew I shouldn't have skipped school. But at the same time, I was trying to be cool. I was trying to run with the older kids. And really, I was a best friend to his younger brother. But I watched him, and I was like, man, I want to hang out with him one day. I want to see what it's like to be in his world. And once I got in his world, I was like, man, this is not the place for me. So you talk about you know, trusting your instincts
1: and these feelings that you have. When you went to Erie Cathedral Prep, do I have the name of that school, mm-hmm. right? Is that right? Yep, Erie Cathedral Prep,
2: yep.
1: So part you only lasted, I think you said, four days. Mm Mm-hmm. And part of the problem, you said, was that it was predominantly white. And in your own words, you felt like people accepted you and respected you, but it didn't feel right to you. And you even resisted some advocacy from, you know, the lunch lady in the moment when you found out the phrase is real, there's no such thing as a free lunch. Uh, You know, she extended a hand and tried to help, and you resisted it. Now, part of our problem here at Southern Lehigh is you pretty much described our demographics. We are predominantly white as a staff. We are predominantly white as a student body. And Uh I I think we're very well-intentioned. So Uh from your perspective, what could a predominantly white staff and a predominantly white student body do to make Uh someone in a position like yours feel more comfortable, feel more a part of the community?
2: Um, so, so here, here's my answer. I think at that time, there was nothing that staff could do. There was nothing they could say to me. There was nothing they could do to me because everything was internal, right? Because of my home situation, I was suffering from low self-esteem. It, it, I had no confidence in myself. So, because I had so much low self-esteem and low confidence in myself, going outside of a community that couldn't, that I felt could not understand that, was very difficult, and like I said, it was nothing that they could really say to me at that time to make me feel comfortable. The only thing that would make me feel comfortable is when I was playing that sport, when I was on the basketball court. That was the only time I felt like I was I fit in or I felt better about myself, but just walking around each day, it just felt out of place. Now, one thing I can say to staff or or to, to you all to make someone like myself feel comfortable is really just get to know them. Just try to understand them, try to ask them as many questions as you can without feeling intrusive and and helping them understand that, hey, man, you know, I've been through some things. Maybe share some short stories with them about some of your experiences to make them feel comfortable Um, and then tell them about the potential they have. I think at that time, I didn't think I had much potential. I, I was a typical kid. You know, I thought I was great in basketball, but I didn't really believe that. But again, a lot of it was internal and I don't think it was really much that they could do to keep me there. Um, It was everything in me was telling me I need to get out, I need to get out of here. And I just needed a reason to leave. And so for me, just don't give up on them and don't give them a reason to leave. And if they do something, whether it's a behavior situation where you think, why is this kid doing this? Try to figure out the why instead of trying to be punitive and punish them for their behavior. Because if you figure out the why, it could help you understand the, the student a little bit more.
0: And, and I think that's one of our, our concerns here is that we are going to miss a student who has some underlying concern, some, some, some hidden, uh, hidden struggle that they're going through on a daily basis. And, and I mm-hmm. think that's it. I think we do have to build the relationships to get to know the students so that we can maybe yep. find their hidden struggles. I mean, is there any other like warning sign or any other piece of advice Mm -hmm. you would give us to a staff of something that we could look out for?
2: So one thing I would look out for is, is this behavior happen at the same time every day? Is it happening in the same way? Like, are we correcting the same behavior or is this a new behavior every day? Because for me, you want to look for patterns because once you start to see a pattern, then you can connect maybe something else is going on. Why is this happening first period every day? Why are you late for first period every day? Is there something else I don't know about? Is transportation an issue? So maybe you can start looking at the pattern. And then if you start to understand the pattern, then maybe it'll help you understand why the behavior is happening in the first place.
1: So you're at cathedral prep and you basically resist help. But years later, when you're being visited by college recruiters and you have a major problem because you don't want these college recruiters coming to your house and you can't Mm -hmm. see any way around that. You reverse course and you reach out for help from your coach Uh and your guidance counselor. So what changed for you that empowered you or enabled you to do that?
2: Well, I saw an opportunity and I saw an opportunity that could change the course of my trajectory, right? Um, Now, I didn't know that word when I was sitting there in left of grade when it was happening, but I saw an opportunity and I said, man, I must be really good at football. And my mom doesn't know much about college. So I really rather them talk to my coaches and talk to my guidance counselor and pull me into the conversation as opposed to coming to my house and talking to me and my mom about it because we don't know what to ask. We don't know what questions to ask. We don't know what to look out for. I really didn't understand the process. So for me, I thought they understood the process better than my family did. And I thought I needed to in- involve them in the process so I wouldn't miss this opportunity and blow it off.
0: Would Would you say that your coaches in these situations were some of your biggest mentors uh, going through high school and, and through your adult life?
2: Absolutely. I mean, I didn't have, I mean, I had uncles, right? I had my uncles. But the thing about my uncles were they were Christians, right? So when I look at my uncles, here I am at 16, 17, I'm like, okay, I love my uncles, but what they're doing, I'm not ready to do what they're doing, right? I want to still have fun. I might still want to go to a party. So I didn't necessarily see them as a role model to me because their life was so different. They were married with their families. They were just so different than anything that I was around. So with my coaches, I just felt like, you know, they understood me. I spent a lot of time with them at practice, watching film, at games, on the road. And so for me, I I have built a strong relationship with my coach. Um, He was a cool guy. I felt he understood a lot of the inner city kids. Um, And so my guidance counselor was just a funny guy. It was just easy to talk to him. He was approachable and he made jokes and it always made you feel comfortable. Um, So for me, those two made me feel so much more comfortable in asking the questions. And again, I come from a family where not many people in my family went to college. So again, they had the information that I needed, and I didn't feel as though my family could answer any of those college-type questions, and that's why I didn't lean on them as much.
1: Do you have any recruiting yep. tips for some of our high school athletes who might be looking to attract the attention of some colleges and, you know, that have college prospects?
2: You know what? Recruiting has changed a lot since since I played. Um, you got huddle. You got you. You got YouTube. You got Instagram. Um, so it's it, it, you can almost recruit yourself, right, you can almost recruit yourself into a college. Um, I just think young people just have to always remember that someone's always watching, right? Because of all the eyes on you now with social media, with, with huddle and all of this and that, my thing is hustle. When you're on that basketball court, when you're on the football field, when you're on the soccer field, hustle. Coaches can see hustle and determination. When you make – even if you're not involved in the play, if you're diving on the ground, trying to go for a loose ball, those are the intangibles that coaches look for. So I would say to the young people is that you've you got to figure out your intangibles and you got to make up for maybe lack of talent, maybe, maybe lack of area that you're in. So just stay within your lane and, and try to hustle every play. If you know you got a highly recruited guy on your team, that is the guy you know is going to get looks. So guess what? You want to try to show up in that film every time. You want a coach to come in and say, "Man, I'm here to see number 22, but who is number 15? This guy's everywhere. He's running around the field, he's hustling, he got high energy. Coaches like high energy athletes. So you want to try to be high energy and always be positive.
0: So so at what point did it become a reality for you that you would actually that you're good enough to play in the NFL? At what point in your college career did that, you know, really become a reality for you?
2: My junior my red shirt junior year is when it became a reality. Um, The previous head coaching staff had just got fired. Um, The new coaching staff came and the new coach met with every player individually. Um, as as they typically do, and they talk a little bit about what they saw on film and what they like about you or sometimes what they didn't like about you. And when he came and met with me, he said, man, you know, I'm looking at your stats. He said, you know, you're a fast guy. You have a nice size to you. And he said, man, I really like you. He said, I think you got a lot of football left. And he said, but one thing, I want you to play defense. And I was like, Coach, you know, I had this conversation with the last staff that I just really don't want to. And he said these words to me. He said, "Well, you could be a third string running back, or you can be a starting cornerback next year on the football team." And the more that he poured into me, the more he believed in me. It started to to trigger something in me because he believed in me more than I believed in myself. And believe it on, believe it or not, his name was Coach Ron Vanderlinden. Um all the seniors on our team did not like coach Vanderlinden. He was very honest, but honest to a point where it was like, coach, I don't think you should have said that. And so, but he was never negative to me and I never understood why. And so it was because of him that he triggered that into me and I didn't want to let him down. And so I started to work harder. And every time college scouts would come and, 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 try to recruit or watch films of our our game, he would always introduce me to those college scouts. And I had no reason why, because I'm like, man, why didn't you introduce them to the All-American linebacker that we had? We had two of them. And he said, I just think you got a lot of football. And so he believed in. me.
0: And and then years later, you're you're, well, 19 years ago, you, you win a Super Bowl with the Rams. Uh, through all of the through all the high school and and now you're playing in the NFL. Um, uh-huh. I guess I guess we're curious what you've been doing in the last 19 years. Has it been a lot of reaching out like this, telling your story, and and uh, you know uh, helping out teenagers uh, so that they don't repeat mistakes that perhaps uh, you've had?
2: Absolutely. So I would say the last 13 years have been this this type of work. Um, prior to that. I would say, you know, what I'll, I'll tell you what it looked like. That transition was difficult um, because when I stopped playing, um, of course I had some bitterness of, hey, I still got some good years left. Why don't, why don't this team want to sign me back? So I had some bitterness toward the Indianapolis Colts, the Kansas City Chiefs, and I just felt like, man, they just got rid of me. I can still run a little bit. Maybe I can't run a 4-3 anymore, but I can run a 4-4 or 4-5 and so I had a little bit of that going on, a little woe is me, because I wasn't ready to retire from the NFL, but I was forced to retire. Um, and so what happened is, Ryan, is that I, I started working at a homeless shelter as a program manager. And that is where I did my college internship. That was my first job post-NFL. And I, I will tell you this, that was a humbling experience, because once I got there, I saw the way those people were living and, and the things that they had to deal with each day. And it really woke me up and made me feel like, why are you feeling sorry for yourself? Do you see what these folks are going through? They don't have a place to live. These teenagers don't have the room of their own. And so it really humbled me and helped me get off of that high horse and say, you know what, you have a great start on life and you don't even realize it. And so that transition really helped me into into getting into the place that I am today uh, while I was at that shelter that's when I met someone from Karen Treatment Center believe it or not and they asked me did I want to get into this work and honestly I was like no nah, that's not me I don't want to do that and you know and and, and and the lady convinced me she said you know won't you try it and I tried it one day and I did my first um, presentation at a high school in Rockville Maryland and i was at rockville maryland i did a presentation and i did it for the freshmen. and that high school said we want you to come back every year And i was like really and so the response is what triggered in me that i had a talent that i didn't even know i had
1: now you mentioned going to college uh and if i'm correct you're you, you won a competition with the NFL that they would pay for your master's degree. Is that correct?
2: Well, there was a scholarship and it was with the, we had a partnership with university of Phoenix. There was five scholarships for any former player. So we're talking about 20,000 guys could apply for this scholarship. But the funny thing is I was working at a high, at a heist, a nonprofit uh, called college summit. And I was helping young people apply for scholarships, apply for for FAFSA. And you know what what prompted me to apply for this scholarship? Young people hated applying for scholarships. They hated filling out the paperwork. And I said to myself, here's an opportunity for me to apply for a scholarship. And I used reverse psychology. And I said, these guys are not going to apply for this scholarship. They got (laughs) to write an essay. They don't have, they not going to do this. So guess what? 19 guys applied for five scholarships. I was one of 19 and I got one of those scholarships and they said my essay was one of the best essays. So for me, I used my knowledge of working with those young people. And I said, the adults are no different. They are not gonna fill out this scholarship.
1: And you ended up uh, taking that scholarship and getting a master's in psychology, correct? Yes. What was your undergrad in? My undergrad, so let's say,
2: you know, like I know, I started off in business administration as a freshman because I was that young kid was like, hey, I want to own my own business. I don't want to work for anybody. So let me go into business administration. And I took a couple of accounting classes, a couple calculus classes and failed miserably. And I was like, business is not for me. So I changed my major um, during my soft, beginning of my sophomore year. I changed my major. But I had to find a major that would allow all my credits to come over. So I went through the University of Maryland, um, different academic advisors, and family studies was one that would accept all of my credits. And so I landed in family studies. And believe it or not, that advisor in family studies did not like athletes. She (laughs) said, you guys take family studies because you think it's easy and you think it's just an easy way out. And she made it very difficult. And so she challenged me, again, that wiring. She challenged me that I was just a typical athlete that was just trying to find a way out. And when I got into family studies, man, boy, did I learn a lot about my family. I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about my culture. And I learned a lot about my community in which I came from during that major. And it really, really um, resonated with me, and I fell in love with it.
0: I have to ask you another NFL question. Did you right. have a team? Did you have a team that you absolutely hated playing against?
2: Hmm. Absolutely. I mean, obviously, I hated playing against the Patriots. Um, <laughs> who, the New England who Patriots. <laughs> it, 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 right, right. They're they, they're so good. They're so well coached. Um, and you you always knew you're the underdog against them. So it's like, man, I hate going up against them. Um, and more importantly, I hated going up against them in their home stadium in December, in January. It's the worst time of the year. And, that, and they play, you know, Christmas music, and they got the fireplace playing on, you know, they got a, a picture of a fireplace, and the fans are out there in T-shirts, and we're freezing. So the New England Patriots was one of those teams that I hated to play against because they were just so good. And we knew as when I played for the Colts, we couldn't make mistakes. Any mistakes,
0: they would capitalize on. Okay. Now, now, the other end of that, do you have a teammate that you love to play with?
2: Like hmm. that. Teammates that I love to play with. I would say my, 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 well, my team that I'm the closest with, fortunate enough, is the St. Louis Rams. I am so close with that Super Bowl team, um, and I only played one and a half seasons with them. But I played five seasons with the Colts, but I'm closer with my Rams team because of that bond. Mm -hmm. However, the teammates that I played with the most that I liked was Edger and James. He was a guy, and still to this day, he is the same guy that I met when I got to the Colts. He's the same guy today. If I text him right now, he responds and he comes through. So for me, he was one of my favorite teammates because he really didn't see himself as that superstar. He saw himself as just another guy on the team. He worked hard. Well, let's say work, he, his work hard is not like me and your work hard, right? <laughs> so he was just a down-to-earth guy. I hung out with him a lot of times. And whenever we came across young people, when I say young people, you know, high school kids or middle school kids, he always bought them something whether we were at 711 or whether we were at the mall he would say hey hey young guys come on come over here just pick out whatever you want and he would let them get something and you'd be surprised the things that they would pick out when he <laughs> says that and i'm looking at them like he said pick out anything you want and you just want a pack of gum today that's it so Edgar and james is one of those guys man that i really really enjoy playing with and and he was a true he was a true team team player
1: All right. I don't know if you've had this experience, but as a teacher, I can't watch movies about teachers because they get everything about teaching (laughs) completely wrong. But I love (laughs) sports movies. So I was curious. Mm -hmm. There are sports movies I like that might be completely inaccurate. Which
2: football movies get it right? you ever seen the rock in the show um the game is it the game i think it is rock the rock plays on a show i think it airs on hbo i can't remember the name of it yeah i got it it's ballers 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 love ballers right i think a lot of course they they overdo some things and over exaggerate some things but to be honest some of the things in that movie just depicted is very accurate um from the way he talks to the players and tries to get them to understand their future, and they're so young and rich, and they're like, no, man, I got it together, and as soon as they fall into a bad place, who do they call? The Rock. Hey, can you come get me out of this bad situation? Um, and he's a former, in the movie, he's a former player himself who has turned into an agent. So he understands the player, and he's trying to give them the knowledge, but at the same time, his era is Was that your
1: experience, too, as a young guy coming from very little, suddenly making a, a big paycheck? Was that difficult to get used to?
2: Um, it, it, was good. it was difficult to get used to. The part that was difficult was trying to find balance in helping people who you know where you came from and you don't want to feel like you forgot where you came from or you forgot the struggle. But then helping them also understand that, hey, this is not going to last forever, and I have to protect my savings and my future. So trying to find that balance was very difficult. It took maybe two years to figure that balance out. And, and you know how I found that balance? A friend of mine that played on my team, his name was Adrees Bashir. He went to the University of Tennessee, and he played safety. I called his phone one day because we were on our way to the airport for a game, and I was um, either giving him a ride or he was, or I was riding with him. I couldn't remember. But his voicemail said this. I'm I, not lying. His voicemail said, hey, I'm not available. If you're asking for money, the answer is no. But if you're not, I'll give you a call back tomorrow. And I said, wow. I said, did you really just have that on? He was like, man, I'm tired of my family calling. I'm tired of my friends calling and asking me for money. He said, it's getting annoying. I could not believe he had that voicemail. So we had a whole conversation. I said, bro, I thought I was the only one. He was like, no, they called me too. So we kind of shared stories. And that same day we got on the plane and we both went up to Peyton Manning. And I said, Peyton, you're one of the most wealthiest guys on the team. You're the highest paid on the team. I said, do you get a lot of calls from your family or friends asking you for money or favors? And believe it or not, he said no. Hmm. And I thought, it was, I thought it was crazy because here I am making the lowest on the team because I'm a rookie free agent, and here is Peyton who has all the money, and he's not getting bothered. His family is protecting him. They don't give out his number. They don't give it out to anybody. You have to go through Archie Manning to get to Peyton. And so for me, I thought that was crazy because it, it just didn't make sense. And so for me, that helped me figure that balance out and how to protect myself.
1: Yeah. So I'll, we're also name dropping now. So I got to ask, Peyton Manning <laughs> is, is Peyton Manning as good a dude as they say he is? Good guy?
2: He's a great guy, but he's a he's a, he, he, put it like this: he's a great guy when you're on his team. Um, and he's one of those guys that you know when the coach is not around, he's like the coach, right? So sometimes you don't like him because he's like, man, let's do an extra rep. Let's do an extra lap. And we're like, Peyton, no, we're done for the day. And he's like, come on, man, don't y'all want to win. We're trying to get over the hump. And we're like, uh, how are we going to say no to that? So we got to do an extra lap. Uh, but at the end of the day, he's a funny guy. So everything you see on him when he's doing commercials, that is Peyton. He is not acting. That is him all day long. If you're not careful, he will prank you in the locker room. He will hide your keys, your wallet, and you will be in the locker room looking for your things for a very long time before you get a phone call to say, hey, look in my locker. Your keys are in there. So he, he is a good guy, man. I really like Peyton a lot, and I'm looking forward to going to his Hall of Fame um, celebration in Canton this year, um, along with Edger and James and Isaac Bruce. Three guys that I played with will be in the Hall of Fame this year. So um, it's, a, it's a great time.
1: You talk about Peyton Manning pushing you to go that extra mile. And you've always been a guy who faces up to a challenge, right? You know, you see a challenge and you say, challenge accepted. You rise to it. Mm -hmm. And unlike some former NFL players, you look Uh like you've kept yourself in remarkably good shape. (laughs) So I I have to ask, uh, like, what is your diet and workout routine these days? How does it compare to when you were in the NFL? Tell us about that.
2: So you asked about my diet. I, I will say this. When I was younger, I didn't think I needed a diet. In my 20s and early 30s, I was a guy that was like, diet? Like, I'm still young. I'm, I'm going to eat what I want. But I'll be honest with you. If I had have known or had the, the knowledge and open-mindedness that I have today, I probably could have played a little longer had I played and paid attention to my body a little bit more. But again, we live and we learn, right? And I didn't. But what I will say today, I still eat whatever I want. Here's a nice Reese's cup that I'm going to eat later. (laughs) So (laughs) trust me, I do not have a special diet or what I do. I do everything in moderation. I'll tell you that I eat whatever I want, but I do it in moderation. I do pay attention of eating, you know, less fried foods and processed foods. I do pay attention to it. However, what I can say is a lot of my friends, that played in the nfl there was a period of time when they stopped playing they just refused to work out they were just like no i'm not working out anymore i'm not squatting anymore i am free from all of that for me it was lifestyle i just continue i never really stopped now i might take some times off or i might fall off the horse so to speak and go a week without working out but i always find a way to get back on that horse and today i worked out today, I got my workout in so for me it's just consistency Um, I'm consistently working out, Um, of course I'm 46 now so I've lowered my goals I don't try to work out 5 days a week my goal now is 2 to 3 days a week, but I do a lot of cardio, Um, and if you talk to some of my friends, they will swear that I am on some supplements, that I am on some type of HG, I'm like dude, I don't take anything I just work out I just work out, and this is all me. And so that's what I do, man. I do a lot of cardio. I tell you now, I, I probably walk. When I go for my walk slash run, because I don't walk the whole time, I try to – my goal is at least three miles. So I'm out there walking. I'm that guy in my neighborhood that my neighbors are probably saying, there goes that guy again. <laughs> and I got my yellow Under Armour shoes on, and I'm walking. I got my headphones on. I'm layered up, and I go for that walk. And I'm telling you, I'm in a zone.
1: Yeah, but come on. When you work out, it's not like when I work out. So you're like, yeah, hey, it's only two or three days a week. But you're probably in there for like two okay. and a half hours.
2: throwing around. Absolutely heavy not. No? Absolutely not. I am in there today. I was in there for 45 minutes. Wow. My goal is 45 minutes to an hour. And, and those 45 minutes to an hour is working out. Because I am not a guy that wants to talk. I put my headphones on. And I, when guys come up and try to talk to me, I'm like, dude, I'm trying to work out. I, I'm not in here to talk. This is my space that I clear my head where I'm thinking about my next project or the next thing I want to do. So for me, to be honest, when I, I, I'll tell you what I do on the bench. For the last 20 years, I have not went past 225 pounds on the bench. I do that with 10 reps. I start off with 135. I put 25 pounds on it each side. And then the highest I go up to is 225, and I do it for 10 reps twice. That is the most weight that I'm going to do. When I squat, I am doing 185 pounds 15 times for three reps. That is my regimen. You will not see me go higher than that because I am not training for football anymore. I'm training for life. And life doesn't care how much you squat. All right. Well, you know, speaking of,
1: uh, you know, you said you work out 45 minutes to an hour. We've kept you here for about 45 minutes to an hour and we're <laughs> grateful for the time you were able to give us. I have one final question. You played in the uh, NFL for six years, right? Six years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you could describe that experience in one word, how would you describe your NFL career?
2: I can't describe it in one word, but I'll describe it in three. dream come true. And, you know, as a little kid, you know, you, you, when you plan sports and when not, not little, you know, maybe you're middle school teenage years, you start to, to become good at something and you shoot for the highest level, whether that's in soccer to play professionally, whether that's in the NBA or, or if you're a female in the WNBA, you want to shoot for the highest level. Um, and I never thought in a million years that I would make it to the NFL. Never, never, never thought that. I just knew I was a, I was a kid from a small town. Um, I had some opportunities in front of me to go to college and that's all I wanted at the time was just to go to college and play football and then I got to college and then the goal got bigger so for me, dream come true man, I I never thought I would see the day or light that I would be in a locker room with the guys as Kurt Warner, Marshall Falk, you know, Peyton Manning, never thought that that would be my life and that that would be my story my son who's 19 now who's a freshman in college he now sees how hard it is to get a college scholarship for athletics. He sees it. It didn't happen for him. And now he understands, wow, dad, you actually did that. This is very difficult to do. But if you would have told me that in high school, I would have thought it was easy because I did it. And I had so many schools coming after me. But now that I'm an adult, nah, that was very difficult to do. Colleges don't just give give those out to anybody. Well, I got to tell you,
1: it was a bit of a dream come true to interview a former NFL player. So, Cliff, thank
2: you so much for your time, man. This was great.
0: Absolutely. Thank all you right. so very much.
2: All right. Thanks for having me. And I hope to see you guys in person one day and give my presentation to your student body in person, man. Um, it was a pleasure to have to be on your show and um, good luck with everything. And to all the students at, um, at Lehigh, man, just thanks for having me. Um, and thanks for accepting me and listening to my story and being open to it. And I hope I was able to change some of the perspectives that they have and give them some, share some light on some things for them.
1: All right. Yeah. Thank you very much. So-
2: All right. See you guys. Have a good one. <laughs>